HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. And it shows Kentucky as a national leader that is innovative on soil health and regenerative agriculture while producing the world's best bourbon. You'll hear more about that story on this episode of No Farms, No Future, the new podcast from American Farmland Trust. I'm John Piotti, President and CEO of AFT. In each episode of No Farms, No Future, created in collaboration with the Heritage Radio Network, we'll examine a critical challenge faced by farmers and ranchers today. Join us to hear their voices while grappling with tough decisions shaping their future and ours. For the rest of this episode, we turn it over to our producer, Rob Hoschel. Kentucky is a commonwealth with a long list of famously iconic exports. Among them, horse racing, bluegrass music, tobacco, college basketball, and thanks to limestone-rich soil, bourbon. One of the reasons that settlers started producing bourbon here 200 or more years ago was because that water that came through this limestone, that limestone filtered water, the limestone actually filters the iron out, which makes it very good, clear, clean water to make bourbon with. That's Sam Holcomb, a sixth generation farmer in the community of Shaco, Kentucky. He's one of a growing number of Kentucky farmers who in recent years has worked to harvest more rye and increasingly sought after grain as demand for bourbon and other whiskeys have grown. Back in the late 1700s and early 1800s, when Kentucky became the global epicenter for bourbon production, local farmers grew the ingredients used in the bourbon stills, primarily corn, along with rye, wheat, and barley. But when U.S. law changed in 1919, Kentucky was forced to make some changes too. During Prohibition, of course, we banned all products for alcohol consumption and production, except for certain medicinal purposes. So at that time, wheat production and rye production stopped in the U.S. I'm not saying totally, but in large part it did. Billy Van Pelt grew up on a Kentucky farm and now works for American Farmland Trust as Director of Special Program Development and Senior Advisor to AFT's President and CEO. 
wheat really didn't come back into production until the 1960s. And then rye has not come back. Rye is currently being imported from Germany and Canada. We need a domestic rye for our distilling, brewing, and baking industries. While rye's absence was felt in the world of Kentucky food and beverage, it also got people thinking about the ways that rye, which works well as a cover crop, has a positive impact on the health of the soil. If we want to raise rye as a cover crop, the benefit of that is that we're going to have a living crop in the ground over the wintertime, which is going to improve soil health because it's going to feed organisms in the soil during the winter with that living crop being in the ground. It's going to hold soil in place and reduce erosion problems and a whole host of other benefits. So the question was, if 95% of the world's bourbon is made in Kentucky, how can Kentucky farmers help meet that demand, improve environmental sustainability, and ensure that this homegrown favorite is as homegrown as possible? Fortunately, farmers like Sam Holcomb were already working on it. The name of our business is Walnut Grove Farms, and we are a family cropping operation, and we raise wheat barley, rye, corn, and soybeans. I think about 2009 is when we first started experimenting with rye as a cover crop. When you hear farmers talk about raising cover crops, typically what they're talking about is having a living crop in the ground during the winter months. We weren't necessarily growing any significant number of acres every year. I think maybe 2009, we tried it. Maybe 2010, we did not do any more of it. And then we tried it again in 2011. So it was kind of on again, off again thing. It seemed like a good idea, but we just hadn't quite figured out how to, how to make all the pieces of the puzzle come together successfully. I think everyone knows farming is hard work, but it's much more than physical labor. There's a lot of experimentation, testing, science, unreliable weather, more testing, and hot summers, especially in Kentucky. For farmers like Sam Holcomb, it was too risky to go all in on rye, but he was learning about the crop and starting to build relationships with some distilleries and researchers at the University of Kentucky. But in Sam's own words, the progress was coming in fits and starts. That's when, at the urging of Louisville-based Brown Foreman, one of the major beverage companies in the U.S., American Farmland Trust started playing a key role, AFT's Billy Van Pelt. About three and a half years ago, I was invited to speak at a forum that was being put together by uh, Brown Foreman and Dendra Fund, the sustainability foundation of the Brown family. That forum included people from across Brown Foreman, across agriculture, across Woodford Reserve, bourbon, and a lot of thought leaders. And we were talking about terroir, the, the flavor differentials in bourbon. We were talking about developing a Kentucky-specific rye for the distilling industry. And while we were doing that, I'm thinking... Well, using rye as a cover crop is also a way to improve soil health, water quality, and to sequester carbon. And as everyone saw all of these stars coming into alignment, it was clear that there was a great partnership forming here. And that was a partnership between American Farmland Trust, 
uh, Brown Foreman, Dendrofun, Woodford Reserve, the University of Kentucky College of Agriculture, and the Kentucky Small Grain Growers Association, and Walnut Grove Farms, one of our foundational partners. So the key collaborators were in place to kick off a new era in grain production, and the Kentucky Rye Project was born. Soon after that, American Farmland Trust brought in a soil scientist to help engage farmers and activate the project on the grassroots level. My name is Scott Franklin, and I am the Commercial Rye Cover Crop Project Manager at American Farmland Trust. When I first started, I thought this was a really exciting opportunity. Uh, We're taking a crop that American farmers used to grow. We no longer grow it in a large and meaningful way. And so I really thought that there's a great opportunity here for farmers to not only grow a crop that they can sell, but this crop also serves a dual function. You can raise it, you can sell it as a crop, and it also has really significant soil conservation and environmental benefits to growing it. I've used cover crops on all the farms that I've managed. This was a new take on cover crops. There are plenty of programs out there that pay farmers to plant cover crops, but this is really the first that um, incentivizes farmers to grow it beyond the normal stage, kind of taking it beyond that normal quote-unquote cover crop stage and actually harvesting it and then incorporating it into local products. I mean, how amazing is that? It's kind of a full circle system compelling farmers then to take a chance on rye, not just as a cover crop, but as a cash crop, emerged as a potential game changer. But while cover crops make conservation sense, it's not so easy to make it work financially, says Sam Holcomb. There are plenty of reasons to have a cover crop in your soil over the winter, but it's not as simple as that because there's also a cost to it. There's a cost of the seed, there's a cost of the planting of the cover crop, And both of those things, if all you're going to do is use the crop over the winter for living cover, and then you're going to terminate it in some way during the spring and plant corn into it, for example, then you've got a lot of cost in that cover crop, but it's not generating any revenue for you. So obviously you have to do a cost benefit analysis and see how that balances out. Are there enough benefits there to justify the economic costs of it? So American Farmland Trust launched a program that mitigates risk for farmers accepted into the Kentucky Rye Project. Adopting a new practice like planting rye comes with a certain amount of risk to basically have a farmer try something new, and maybe that doesn't work out. We've ensured that this project centers on the farmer first, and we do that by giving the farmer a guaranteed acreage payment to grow this crop. So, for example, a farmer who is interested in planting rye on their farm in Kentucky receives a $550 per acre guarantee up to 25 acres to grow that crop. Now, farmers have to deduct their expenses from that, but that provides them with the ability to purchase seed, purchase input costs, plant it, manage the crop, and it really minimizes their risk. We're not asking them to try something new and do it on their own dollar. That's been a huge help in getting farmers to to plant rye. Once farmers join the Kentucky Rye Project, they also become collaborators, working toward a successful region-wide outcome. Scott Franklin explains what those relationships look like. This is about working with farmers who really see the benefit of planting a cover crop on their farm and really being boots on the ground researchers doing this work. 
without the farmers, we don't have an initiative. We're asking for farmers to really work collaboratively with us and all of the partners on providing their honest feedback. What's working? What's not working? What information do we need to still collect? Are you having trouble growing the crop? Do you need more technical assistance? Do you need help finding new markets? Can we make introductions to distillers or grain buyers who are interested in purchasing your grain? We really make all these connections to make it as easy as possible for the farmers to participate. As AFT brings more farmers into the program, they're continuing to work with Brown Foreman to encourage more bourbon makers to use locally sourced rye. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director of Heritage Radio Network. Stay with us for the rest of this episode of No Farms, No Future. HRN is thrilled to be the home of this new podcast because America's irreplaceable farmland grows our food and supports a trillion-dollar-a-year agriculture economy. Farmland is the foundation of our rural communities, providing jobs, recreational opportunities, and a deep connection to the land. Farms are also critical in the fight against climate change. Learn more about American Farmland Trust and how to get involved at farmland.org. Now let's return to today's show. As AFT brings more farmers into the program, they're continuing to work with Brown Foreman to encourage more bourbon makers to use locally sourced rye. Rye is a key component of bourbon in Kentucky. And so I want to be clear that Brown Foreman wants the entire distilling industry to use Kentucky rye, not just their brands. So they make Old Forester and Woodford Reserve and Jack Daniels. But they want the entire distilling industry to use Kentucky rye and use it for the fact that we have a Kentucky bourbon with Kentucky inputs, but that we want the entire bourbon distilling industry to embrace this regenerative agricultural practice that improves soil health, water quality, and sequesters carbon. One question that may be swirling around your mind is, what is bourbon anyway? You know by now that it typically has rye in it. But rye isn't the dominant ingredient. Farmer Sam Holcomb and AFT Scott Franklin, also a farmer, explain. All bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. So bourbon has to be at least 51% corn. It has, in terms of the mash bill or the grain bill, or in layman's terms, the recipe, it has to be at least 51% corn. It has to be distilled in the United States of America. And depending on the distiller that you're working with, they kind of have their own recipes, but you have corn, the majority ingredient, and then you can have wheat, barley, and lastly, rye as kind of another flavoring component in there. Terroir is the taste or the flavor that's imparted. They generally talk about terroir when talking about wine, right? This is the taste and the flavor imparted to a wine by the environment in which it's grown. And the same has not always been true of the bourbon industry. So having Brown Foreman, having Woodford Reserve leading this research is so critical. What impact do the inputs that go into bourbon have on flavor? And they're trialing that right now. They've committed to 10 years of research on that very subject. What impact does Kentucky-grown rye have on the flavor of their premium bourbon? 
I know I'm excited to try and taste the results. While AFT works with its partners to help build stronger relationships between farmers and distilleries, they're also helping farmers find other markets for their harvested rye grain, including bakeries, beer brewers, and livestock farms. The distilleries are our premium customers for this product. They're willing to pay a very fair price and a bit of a premium for a very high quality grain. But when you're growing a grain, 100% of it won't always make that high quality grade. So we do have to have alternative markets to sell grain that doesn't make the grade. And that's actually a, a very important piece of the Kentucky Rye Project is market development in general, um, which includes marketing the rye to the distilleries, but it also very importantly includes what are other outlets that we can have for that rye, such as animal feed, for example, because the, the quality specs for an animal feed would not be quite as high as the quality specs to go into Kentucky bourbon. Um, whether you're talking about distillers, brewers, or bakers, they're all three kind of the premium markets. They're all going to want the highest quality rye. So we are working on developing channels to sell rye to brewers, bakers, as well as distillers. But we still need to develop those secondary markets for the grain that doesn't make that spec. So when you're out in the field at a certain time of the year, I assume you're able to look at what you have and then say like, yep, this is premium grain that the distilleries would love. And this is grain that would be probably more destined for animal feed. When are you able to make that assessment and how do you make that assessment? Once we harvest the crop, of course, we can take a sample of the grain to our grading laboratory that we have here on the farm where we can test moisture, we can test the density of the grain, we can test for diseases like vomitoxin, foreign material, and things like that. Prior to that, in the six weeks leading up to harvest, you start to get a pretty good idea of what the grain quality is based on the, the way that the crop looks in the field. And so what is the look of a good-looking rye crop out in the field? Two of the key indications are the plumpness of the kernels, which is something that the, the end users are interested in. They like Ideally, they like to see a nice, plump, full kernel of, of rye. And the other thing is any types of diseases. So I mentioned before that we could test for vomitoxin. That's one of the more common uh, diseases that we might have on rye. And... To some extent, during the six weeks leading up to harvest, you can walk through the field, you can actually look at the kernels in the head, and you can get some sense of their plumpness as well as potential vomitoxin issues that you might have based on the color of the, of the kernels. So that during that six weeks leading up to harvest, we are walking the fields pretty closely, we're monitoring the fields pretty closely, and we're starting to get a, a sense of what kind of harvest we're going to have. While farmers like Sam Holcomb are assessing the state of their rye kernels, American Farmland Trust has been helping build relationships between those farmers and eventual buyers of that grain. I also would give AFT credit for really starting the market development side of the project because that was something that we really had not looked at very closely prior to them becoming involved. And so they have, uh, in conjunction with the other partners on the project, AFT has helped guide us toward developing 
uh, steering committee for the project. So we've brought in many stakeholders throughout the state and throughout the region that are interested in rye production from a lot of different angles. Some of these stakeholders are distillers. Some of these are producers. Some of these are um, brokers. And some of these are, are malt houses, for example, um, and also bakers. Another key area where American Farmland Trust has played an important role is in helping strengthen research efforts that are so critical to the project's success. The number one issue on the agronomic research is finding varieties or developing varieties that are well suited to our climate. Because what we're doing currently, what we've been experimenting with, are varieties of rye that are well adapted to the upper Midwest of the United States, well adapted to Southern Canada, well adapted to certain areas within Europe, but all at more Northern latitudes than where we are here in Kentucky. In terms of yield per acre, as well as grain quality, particularly with regards to the plumpness of the kernels, finding or developing the right varieties that are well suited to our climate here in Kentucky is critical. The University of Kentucky is one of the project partners heavily focused on such agronomic research, says Scott Franklin. Kentucky has a thriving market for wheat. Um, right now, there's about a half a million acres of wheat that's produced in Kentucky. The University of Kentucky was a pioneer in breeding wheat varieties that grow well in the Southeast. So really, there's, there's already a strong legacy of growing small grains here in Kentucky. The, the Rye Initiative is really building on that legacy of small grains. American Farmland Trust and its partners are making excellent progress on contributing to that legacy. They're about a year ahead of schedule on a plan to have 3,000 acres of rye growing by 2023, with a goal of 10,000 acres by 2030. And while all of this is good news for Kentucky farmers and Kentucky Proud Products, rye cover crops are also a huge help in preserving the environment and fighting climate change. AFT's Billy Van Pelt and Scott Franklin make the case. Agriculture can be a solution here. And it's all weaved into farmland protection, farmland protection with regenerative agricultural practices, and building resilient communities, resilient agricultural communities and resilient urban communities that dovetail into these agricultural communities. Based on American Farmland Trust's own research, adopting cover crops on your farm can combat climate change. They improve water quality, they promote on-farm resilience, and they can increase farm profitability. The root structure is holding that soil in place. So in a heavy rain event or snow, that soil is not washed away off the farm. It keeps moisture on the farm, which makes farms more resilient to potential impacts from climate change. In a drought year, having a cover crop planted on your farm, that moisture is going to be held on your farm, not only for the cover crop, but then for any subsequent crop that you plant. Um, in the United States, there's 260 million acres of row crops. Currently, there's only about 5% of those acres planted to cover crop in any given year. So that's only 13 million acres of 260 million acres. Um, based on American Farmland Trust's research, 
if we increase that adoption to just 15% or 35 million acres of those 260 million acres, that's the equivalent of taking 21 million passenger cars off of the road or growing 1.6 billion trees for 10 years. So by increasing that percentage, even just a fraction, let's say 5 10%, the potential impact for farmers to be the solution to our climate crisis that's key. And that's why growing cereal rye on farms is so appealing and taking this model of the rye initiative, capturing those soil health benefits while also giving farmers a crop they can make a little bit of money on is a win-win. And as Billy Van Pelt explains, that ecological benefit is right in step with the Kentucky tradition of no-till farming and other innovative practices that reduce the amount of carbon going into the atmosphere. Kentucky has been a leader for decades on no-till, right? The the 60th anniversary of no-till will be celebrated in 2022. And it's just extremely important because Kentucky is the largest cattle market east of the Mississippi River. And we have a very diverse agricultural operation here in the state. The diversity in the agriculture is the key to our success. And it's all about soil, right? Kentucky has amazing soils. We have moderate weather. We have abundant water. And we have a very knowledgeable agricultural community that is made up of people who love the land, who are connected to the land. It's part of their DNA. Sam Holcomb runs Walnut Grove Farms with his wife, brother, sister-in-law, and mother. And the whole idea of sound conservation practices has been there for generations. Sustainability within farming is very important to our family. And the way that we look at sustainability is that what we do needs to be environmentally sustainable, it needs to be economically sustainable, and it needs to be socially sustainable. So obviously, with regards to the environment, you could take that right back to the soil health conversation. We need to take care of our natural resources, whether we're talking about soil, water, air, and so forth. We have to balance the economics and the environmental sustainability with all the decisions that we make, which is why we've been working on cover crops ever since 2009, as I mentioned before, is we we know agronomically and environmentally they make great sense but we have to find a way to achieve all those benefits and be economical at the same time. And the economic viability piece, in combination with sustainability, is what brings it all back to bourbon, says Billy Van Pelt. It's about protecting inches of soil. And it shows Kentucky as a national leader that is innovative on soil health and regenerative agriculture while producing the world's best bourbon. So when you're drinking a glass of bourbon, and depending on the brand, but if you're drinking a glass of Woodford Reserve, you're helping to improve soil health, water quality, and you're sequestering carbon all at the same time. But you're also reducing the carbon footprint of all those imports coming in from Germany and Canada. So A Kentucky product should have Kentucky inputs. I love the the bourbon industry because of its authenticity 
and the historic nature of it and distilling bourbon and growing crops such as corn, wheat, barley, and rye goes back for 200 plus years. The thing that really gets me up in the morning, I guess, is that we have really strong relationships with the end users of our products, a lot of which are distilleries, but I really enjoy the relationships that we have with the end users of our products and also thoroughly enjoy the relationships that we have with the different landowners that we work with because we don't own all the land that we farm. And that's another nice thing that AFT's done with this project is, and COVID's been a, a bit of a downer on this, but prior to COVID, we were AFT was doing a good job of pulling the farmers together and sharing successes and sharing frustrations and helping us work through some of those things and, and collaborating together. While American Farmland Trust continues to help farmers like Sam Holcomb build those relationships and plant more rye, Scott Franklin says AFT is aiming to replicate the Kentucky model nationwide. We were able to leverage an additional $2.6 million in funding from the USDA National Resource Conservation Service to take what we're doing in Kentucky and trial that across farms all across America. Currently, we're working on another initiative to improve soil health practices on farms coast to coast. We're working with 15 farms across three regions in five states on really how do you use soil health practices, cover crops on different farming systems, and how do you get farmers to adopt those practices potentially faster than might happen on their own. Thanks to Scott Franklin and Billy Van Pelt of American Farmland Trust and Sam Holcomb of Walnut Grove Farms for their contributions to this episode of No Farms, No Future. Next time on No Farms, No Future, we head out to Illinois to learn about how American Farmland Trust is helping farmers by facilitating a discount on crop insurance. And this is not just a benefit to the farmers that are getting this discount, but it's a benefit to everyone in the state of Illinois. That's next time on No Farms, No Future, the podcast of American Farmland Trust, created in collaboration with the Heritage Radio Network and produced by The Food Voice, executive producer Louisa Kasdan and audio director and composer Michael Moss. I'm Rob Hoschel. Thank you for listening to No Farms, No Future. I'm John Piotti, President and CEO of American Farmland Trust. Learn more about our work at farmland.org and subscribe to No Farms, No Future wherever you listen to podcasts.